It's mine. She had borrowed it. So what do y'all think about the, y'all have any thoughts about the, the wedding ceremony, about the stuff we talked about with marriage? I didn't follow the whole thing, but I just followed that one clip where I sent that, uh, like, amen me message about uh, marriage is not to, uh, what'd you say? Complete oh, on Instagram. Yeah, the, the marriage, marriage is not to find somebody to complete you, yes. mm -hmm. is to find completion with God, and then you find a relationship that will, you know, enhance that completion. Yeah. That's, I was like, man, that's 100%. Absolutely. 400%. The idea is that abundance, the abundant life is found in God, right? And then you find that in God, and then you can come together and share that abundance with someone else. You know, I, I wrote something that's kind of long, and it's on individualism versus collectivism. Oh, wow. And it, it's, it's too long to, like, post on Facebook. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. How long is it? It, kind of long. I mean, not ridiculously <laughs> long. Pages. Seems like too long for Facebook. But it's interesting because, you know, when you think of churches, most churches that I've ever gone to, they are about the business of building a church. And I mean, it's not, I don't say that just completely negative in any way. I mean, they see the church as a group of people who are gathered together, you know, in the name of Christ, and they're trying to facilitate that fellowship. But it's kind of interesting because when, when your focus is on building a fellowship and building a community, your focus is not really in the right place. Yeah. And, you know, as I experienced that in different churches, I could see that there was something missed there. They're trying to build something in a fashion that it just does not seem to be happening here. They're trying to build this church, and I don't see the fellowship. I don't see the unity in the body. I don't see the, uh, you know, I don't see what they had there, what we got here. Right. And I, I believe that it is because the most critical aspect of the human life is the personal, individual development of the human being, of you. Because until you are like in, find yourself in union with the Lord, the possibility of finding yourself in union with other people in the body cannot take place. Right. And it almost seems contradictory to reasoning. Reasoning would say, you know, if you want a body, you gotta build that body, make that body come together and function, and let's let's make this. How are we gonna make this thing happen? But the way God works is he builds the individual first. And as the individual comes into union with the Godhead and finds it fellowship like that, the possibility of this other thing happening is not really very good. Yeah. Otherwise, so, you'll end up cannibalizing each other. Yeah. Right. I was thinking about that almost similar thought that you had. And I was looking at um, some advertising for various churches. And the metric that they all seem to have is church growth. Yes. Right? That's the, right. the focus in, yeah. in the world today for churches is church growth. So the metric is not a personal relationship with Christ. The, the metric is how many seats are we filling on a weekly basis? Because we know what seats in the, in the, the people in the seats mean in terms of the budget. So, um, yeah. And where, and where the mind is at that point. It's, is it out there? It's what are we doing? How are we making exactly. this thing happen? Yeah. Instead of like internally seeking to know Christ better and experience that relationship. Who could we hire to make this happen? Who yeah. could we hire? So. Yeah, one of our, ch our church in Virginia hired. You can't hire me. They, we hired church growth services. That's Paid it. them a lot of money to help grow our really? church. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, they think the more people they have in church, the more people connected to God. But those mega churches, that is the least connected to God I've ever seen of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like they have no idea who God is. Right. You know, sad. I, I was at a, um, it was like the first meeting in two and a half years of this little uh, men's retreat group, which is like a hodgepodge of all denominations thrown in this thing. And it's always fun to watch the schisms and the sparring that goes on in it, you know. And they were sitting here talking about 
but we're trying to get restarted and like half the people were like blown all over the place excuse me and um I I just sat there and I I remember looking at all these people and I just said you know I have no confidence in any of y'all being compatible with me I said none I said I just see that God knitted this group together and I said that's how this is going to happen it's going to happen by the hand of God or we're just another denomination that's you know going off a cliff non-denomination they make their denomination non-denomination we're all the denominations that's our denomination which is what it will become yeah, they will be justified by saying we have all the denominations come together. Yeah, yeah, and, you're right. And it's it's not a coming together at all. It's a, once again man trying to build, build and fill out the body. Right. Yep. So the, the the and the reason why they're in the church growth is because they think the growing of the church is the justification yeah. of their ministry mm-hmm. or the preacher. Right. right? Uh, it's I mean the preachers go to the conferences and the first thing how's it going with the church? How many people you got? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing they hear. How many people you got? Right. What? How many people you have in your youth group? How many people this? How many people that? That's the first thing they hear. And so the idea is, I'll be justified as a minister by church growth. Right. And it it comes to people who even been established in the truth. I remember when the air conditioners got stolen off the roof in the other Mm -hmm. building. Right. I've been in grace for a long time when that happened. Right. I, I. I mean, I had already forsaken. The, the world to some degree and I remember sitting there for five weeks not being able to have church and I, man I'm not going to lie to you guys I heard the voice what kind of a preacher are you mm-hmm. right hath God really said to come here and start this fellowship where's the tent outside why don't you have a tent outside you're not even having church service what kind of a preacher are you and I tell you what the thing about it is, is you see, the gospel doesn't keep you from hearing those voices. No. It's not like if you hear those voices, that means you come behind in revelation. So it's not like you're going to get to the place where you don't hear the voices. But what the gospel will do is it comes to build your life upon the wisdom that was revealed in Christ on the cross. And so what happens is, is when you hear that voice, you begin to have intimacy with the death you died with Jesus, which means I'm dead to the world and the world to me, mm-hmm. right? Which means when I think about half God really said, I'm not going to look at the world around me, right? Mm-hmm. Because God made foolish the wisdom that when you want to know if you're the blessed of God or if God's with you, mm-hmm. he made foolish the wisdom that said you're going to look externally or you're going to look out in the world to find the testimony of whether or not you're the blessed of God. Because there's the Christ hanging on a tree, stripped mm-hmm. naked, looking like the most despised human that ever lived. Mm-hmm. Now imagine he judged his ministry by what he saw there. Now imagine, hath mm-hmm. God really mm-hmm. said? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the serpent came and said to him. Mm-hmm. Hath God really said? Right? And I love in Isaiah, it reveals a portion of Jesus' heart. Because Jesus could hear the voices. If you go read, I think it's Isaiah 49. Mm-hmm. It, it, it prophetically reveals the heart of Jesus. And he's talking to the Father. You know, Jesus' ministry was to come and reveal God to Israel, right? He come as rabbi. Well, you read Jesus say in Matthew, I think, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather you to myself, but you would not, right? And so in Isaiah 49, it makes me want to cry. In Isaiah 49, I realize how close you are to God. But in Isaiah 49, Jesus is talking to the Father about how he came and he emptied himself. He spent himself. He laid it all on the line. He gave everything he had, and it was in vain. And then the Father comes in, right? He, and, but after Jesus says that to the Father, see, he adds the truth on at the end. He doesn't deny the disappointment or the rejection or the hurt he could feel. See, that's how humans want to deal with things. We want to deny it. We want to push it down. We want to tell ourselves we shouldn't think that. We want to tell ourselves we must not be in belief. we got to hide it. We're going to conceal it. We're not going to give voice to it because that's a negative confession, brother. But Jesus gives utterance to what he feels, but then he says right at the end of that, after he says, I emptied myself, I spent myself, I laid everything out on the line, and it was worthless, it was in vain. He says, but my judgment lies in your hands, O God. Right? So he's giving voice to what the world would have said about whether his ministry was successful or not. Right? What he feels by looking with the natural eyes. But then, out of his heart comes the faith. But the testimony of my life lies in your hands, O God. And then the Father comes in and starts saying, not only will I give you Israel, but I will give you the Gentiles, right? And he starts testifying 
of the ministry of Jesus. And he starts testifying of how fruitful it will be and what he will bring out of him. Right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they just want to be justified by, by church growth because they don't know, they haven't really been justified. Right? Their heart hasn't been persuaded that they are as they ought to be. Mm-hmm. Because they still don't even know that justification comes from possessing eternal life. They don't even know what eternal life is. They don't even know what it means to have eternal life. They don't even know what it means to be braided together with God, yet they're out there playing church. It's the most dangerous thing in the world for people that don't know God to be out there playing church. Yeah. It's heinous. And what they do is they end up establishing the carnal mind in the name of God, right? Yeah. And then that blasphemes or defiles the name of God in the earth. Right. But listen, if you want the body to be filled out, who do you think is going to build the body? You or the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Whose body is it? Is it your body or is it Jesus' body? Okay, doesn't the scripture say that we receive nutrients from the head of the body? That nutrient that comes from the head, you know what it does? That fills out the body. It builds the body. So guess what you do? You don't try to build the body. You (coughs) preach the head that builds the body. Yes. Right? And as you preach the head, which is to preach the spirit, remember the scripture says that Jesus raised a life-giving spirit. Right? So as you preach the head, you preach Jesus, what happens is is nutrients are released that builds out the body. Right? That builds out the body. Right? That's what it will do. And that's how it's supposed to work. But human beings, man, we, I mean, I don't even want to say human beings, the church. The church, I mean, it breaks my heart 2,000 years. Right? But as much as I lament about what's going on, Lord, you know, like I've emptied myself, I've spent myself, I've laid it all on the line, and it's all in vain. Right? As much as I say that, I gotta be honest, I get on Facebook and I start scrolling and I see the seed, the incorruptible seed being reproduced everywhere, all over the world. Which is what was in our heart when we started this place. It wasn't church growth, it wasn't a big ministry. It wasn't to reproduce Gospel Revolution Church all over the place. It wasn't to reproduce Greg Henry all over the place. It was that the incorruptible seed would be reproduced all over the place. And when I get on Facebook, it is. Mm -hmm. And it has. And you know what? The wise of this world. And I don't mean people that don't believe in God. The wise of this world, those who think they know God, they've rejected the message. And those the world calls weak that think don't have a ministry, Aren't mm-hmm. teachers, aren't pastors, aren't evangelists, aren't prophets, aren't apostles. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that the seed's been reproduced in. And I tell you what, I hear the spirit of the sun mm-hmm. in the earth. Mm-hmm. And I hear it growing louder. And the more I get frustrated at the people saying things that contradict the word made flesh in Jesus, the more I feel like, <laughs> like I just want to, shut up! The more I get angry because I think it's a stumbling block to people coming into the truth, the more I see that incorruptible seed standing up. Fight against it if you want. It's like Gamaliel said. You can't stop it. Go ahead and set yourself up against the spirit of the sun. Go ahead and try to justify yourself by your doctrine. Go ahead and do that and stand opposed to what God's doing. You can't stop it. Right? Right. No, you can't stop it. And I see it growing in the earth. Yeah. And I go back and look at my Facebook posts, and I see myself posting this stuff. The Spirit of the Sun is echoing in the earth, right? And it's like, can you hear it? Can you hear it? And sometimes I'm like, no, Lord, I don't hear it. Look at all these people. Look what they're saying. Why won't you just stop their mouth? Right? Right? Yeah. And then I hear God say, who says their mouth isn't being stopped? Mm. Right? Yeah. You know what's interesting, though? Wow. So I wrote this thing, it says, individualism, collectivism, or both. And I got to tell you, I hate using those kind of terminologies because those terminologies or or even the idea of those things is really not found in the scriptures. You don't really see it like that. But there's a point to what I'm communicating there. And that is that what comes to us as human beings comes to us as individuals. In other words, I can't think for some other person, I can't reason for them, and they can't think or reason for me. In other words, I am an individual, and somehow or another, truth has to come to me and have some kind of impact on me that I might, you know, exist in some kind of fashion like I should exist. 
And it, that's the real point of the whole thing. And I go uh, and talk about the Lord, how it says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, now as an individual, and speaking of the Christ, it, unless a single seed dies and falls to the ground, it remains alone. But if it does, it produces much fruit. Yeah. You know? And I think it's pretty, pretty interesting. You should just post it anyway. And, and you, right. you can see that dynamic you just described, not just in Jesus, but in people that the seed abided in and died in them. Yeah. Right? Like Paul. He said, I was crucified with Christ. Guess what? He didn't abide alone. That's right. right? And yet, he still speaketh in the earth through the Spirit of the Son. Right? right? Mm -hmm. Because the seed that died abided in him. And it brought about his death to the world. And in him dying to the world and the world to him, he didn't remain alone. He didn't abide alone, right? But there was much fruit, right? And that same dynamic happens in us, right? Where the seed, Christ, that entered into the earth and died, right? So that life could be brought forth and fruit could be brought forth. That seed comes and abides in us, right? And then we die to the world and the world to us. And guess what? Then we become fruitful, yes. right? In the same right. kind of way, in the same yes. kind of dynamic. Yeah. It's all, man, people struggle to trust the Spirit. We, we struggle to believe that God can do, that God can build his church, that mm -hmm. God can fill out the body, <laughs> right. that God can do these things, right? Yeah. And so they, they don't, everything else is futile. So you could say, well, it's not right that there's so many denominations. It's not right that we can't hang out with our brothers. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to say that's bringing about the spirit. That's not bringing about the spirit. That's bringing about the flesh. Right? That's what that is. Because I don't care how much you come and hang out with one another. I'm sorry. I'm going to upset a bunch of people. I don't care. If you're not of the same faith, you ain't walking together. Mm -hmm. Walking together requires agreement in the heart. One yes. faith, one spirit, mm -hmm. one Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Well, if you're of a different faith than all the people, you could be in the same room with them and you ain't got fellowship. I promise you that. Mm -hmm. Yep. I promise you that. Yep. So it's just another way of man trying to bring the body together. The only way the body can ever come together is if the word that is in the midst of whatever body it is, is Christ crucified, and that's it. Right. That's the only way. Right. If you got everybody and their mother coming up and preaching their own doctrine and their own word, none of which is Christ crucified, there is no fellowship, there is no intimacy, there is no fellowship in the Spirit. Right? It's not the Spirit of many truths. It's the spirit of truth, the truth, the only truth, right? right? right. That spirit of truth, do you know what it says about that Holy Spirit? It will not testify of himself. It will testify of Christ crucified, right? So when you get up to speak, is the words in your mouth peppered with grace? Is your communication Christ and him crucified and that's all? Or is your communication about a bunch of other things, right? Because Paul said, the great apostle, I purpose to know one thing in your midst, Christ and him crucified, that's what he purposed to know. And he said, the reason why that's the only thing I purpose to know is because I see that within Christ is the wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Within Christ is the wisdom and the power of God to raise a life up out of death that can never die again. We saw it proved when Jesus came out of the grave never to die again. That's the proof. That's why that's the only thing I know. Because I see that that even raised a man who had all sin and death on his body out of the grave. So everything else is foolishness. If you can't find your doctrine in the man nailed to a tree, your doctrine is garbage. Right. And it needs to be thrown away. Right. And I understand how painful it is to humble yourself and throw away all your much years of studying. <laughs> I'm the chief of all those kinds of people. And I didn't do it at first when God told me. I was like a little I was like the rich young ruler who went away sad. <laughs> When God told me to throw away all the things I thought I knew about God. What about my much studying? What about my Bible college training? What about all the things I did to build up my perfect doctrine? Dung, Greg. Dung. And I went away with my head hung. Right? And it took me a little while before I got over that. But now I realize he was loving my life. Right? Yep, yep. Right? Mm -hmm. We can surmise that the rich young ruler might have come to the same conclusion you did after time. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, listen, Hebrews says that uh, chastisement 
can be grievous for a period of time. Yeah. Yes. So just because you see the rich young ruler walk away sad right. does not mean right. that he did not come to a revelation Absolutely. and liberty. Right. Right? right? I mean, the correction was grievous for a while. I love what it says, and Jesus looked at him, and knowing him, and him. loved him. And loved yeah. him. That's right. right. And said what he said. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Go and sell everything you have. And listen, guys, I'm not, I don't even think that has anything to do with the possessions the guy had. I mean, I've said this a bunch of times, but the guy came professing all the things he had done to follow the law and perform the works of the law. What must I do, he said. Right. And then Jesus said, oh, what, what, say, what, what sayest the law? Or what readest thou in the law? Right? And well, I've done all that. And what did G- go and sell everything you think you have. Go and sell all your works that you might buy of me gold that is tried in the fire. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying to the guy. Right? And I, I had to forsake everything that I thought I knew. Right? And I didn't realize it at the time. I was so filled with pride that I was only sad about all my works that were worthless. <laughs> right? But then, it, and maybe God helped me to not see this at the time because maybe I wouldn't have done it. Because maybe it would have mixed with the pain of my past. But that cost me all my friends. Mm. It cost me everyone. Mm. I'm not even welcome at the ministry and the conference of the people that ordained me. Mm. Right? And I don't blame the people that started that ministry because the guy has since gone on to be with the Lord. And I can promise you this, I would be welcome there if he was there. And I would be up there preaching if he was there. Mm. Right? But there's other people now running the ministry. Mm. And the last time I tried to go interact with them, rejected. Right? And do you know why they rejected me? Because I said the Father never forsook the Son. And then I explained in great detail through the scriptures how it was true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's why they rejected me. Wow. You know, I I remember a time when I all of a sudden I I was I was holding, you know, studies at my house and all of a sudden I I found myself like, Lord, I'm 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 gonna have two single women moving into my house here. This ain't gonna go down with these Baptists, you know. And uh, I I just kind of I I said, and I was angry about it because I had worked really hard, you know, to be where I was, to do what I was doing, and and I, and I mean I was mad at everybody. I was like, I can't believe this crap's happening to me. Blah, blah, blah. And I was fussing and arguing with God about the whole thing. And I remember going before the pastors and saying, look, this is what's happening. I can't refuse these people. You know, they're coming in. And I remember one of them saying, Phil, what about your ministry? Yeah. And I just kind of went, it ain't my ministry. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's not mine. You know, it, 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 I mean, that, that was the part where I just went, this is not mine. This is not, it's not my house that's built on this, you know. And, and at that point, I realized, man, I am, I, yeah, that was my, Phil, let go of all that crap and follow me. Mm-hmm. That's really what it was. It, it, it was like, I just saw it was, this is crap, whatever I thought I was building, whatever I thought I was a part of. That's yeah. when you knew it was worthless. Yeah. I mean, they called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. Right. Right? Yeah. And I love how he reveals the carnal mind. It's so full of hypocrisy. Yeah. Right? John the Baptist came not drinking or eating anything. Yeah. And they rejected yeah. him. Yeah. And then Jesus comes, right, eating and drinking. And they him. rejected him. Yeah. Right? And so you see how you can never make the carnal mind happy. Yeah. You can never satisfy the knowledge of good and evil, right? right? You can never satisfy lust, right? And yeah. who's to say bringing in those two women wasn't a ministry? That's right. Mm-hmm. It, well, I'm married to one of them now, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was God ministering to you. I was angry about it. It was like three's company for this guy. I was angry about it. I really was. <laughs> D- does anybody have anything else personally they want to say before I get into, like, theology? <laughs> Because I don't want to cut somebody off if they're trying to, to build something on that. You know what I... Uh, I'd say this. This, this confirmed that, I would, that my heart knew grace. 
Um, for six months, I was free. No, I would no ties to a church. I was a van. I was telling every. I would stand in line in a convenience store and tell people about Jesus. It was so filled with love, and felt so free because I was in such bondage before. And it, I wasn't in bondage to religion. Then I went to church, and I felt it come on, the laws, the do this, do that. Uh, I started um, leading the youth group. I love kids, and. Some of my stuff was a little bit questionable, kind of like what Denise does, you know, just having fun and enjoying each other and doing stuff. So we had a staff meeting, and the pastor said, God has told me that we're gonna, we need to grow, and what we're going to do is we're going to have everyone learn the Romans road, and we're going to go out door to door and tell people the Romans road. This way you don't have to be afraid. You could, you have an itinerary to go with and just tell them that and God will do the rest. And I said, wait, that, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, that was a no-no. Uh, At that meeting, they asked me, listen, we think we need to step down from the youth group. Why? I was a little shocked. And then at the end of the meeting, no, it was the next, the next day, they called me in before the, before the elders and said, listen, we're kind of concerned that your theology is not our theology. Mm. And you might have an influence on people, an evil influence on people. Mm. Unless you rebuke this, and do this, right? And I, I'm a lawyer. I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, no. <laughs> uh, and I just said, okay. And I felt, I felt like Paul. I felt like Jesus. And I didn't feel condemned, and I didn't hate them. I did feel, but I knew I was right. Mm. My heart was free. Yeah. And later on, three of those men came to me and said, "You that stand you made, I could see you knew the truth. Mm. And what we were doing was all a man-made theology. It was all work, yeah. 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 And, I mean, it still makes my hair stand up. Yeah. That I, uh, yeah. and I, you know, that, that, that experience really confirmed to me the grace of God. Well, yeah, the truth will really solidified because I was standing alone. I didn't, you know, it was me and Jesus. I didn't know. Nobody was like <laughs> helping me, and you know. But he, that was what was supposed to be devastating to me, and it was a little bit. I'm not saying it wasn't. Right. I was a little shocked. But the Spirit really confirmed to me the truth. And I felt that freedom again, mm -hmm. and I like I got away. From, the chains were broken again, and I felt free. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The truth will stand up. The truth can't back down, right? It's the truth. It's not. It's who cares who's right and wrong. It's what's the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and not what's your truth or my truth. Not what's your journey. What's my journey? When you try to know your own walk by your own understanding, you don't even know your own walk, right? If you want to understand your journey, you behold yourself in Jesus, right? His journey is your journey, right? And so many times we try to stake our claim on our journey, and we try to divide ourselves up amongst journeys, right? When you, when you see Jesus, and you see the testimony of your journey in Jesus, and you see the testimony of their journey in Jesus, you know what ends up happening? Unity. Yep. Oneness. You see they're the same as you. Sure. Right? You see, they've experienced the same thing as you. Right? And it, it causes you to understand each other. Mm -hmm. It causes you to feel compassion for one another. Mm -hmm. We all feel compassion for ourselves when we walk out of the way. Do you know why? Because we know we intend it well. We meant well. Somehow we struggle to impute that to other people too. So because we judge whether they mean well or not by what we see come out of them. Yes. Right? Instead of when we see something not born of life come out of them, realize that's because they were nailed to a cross and they just wanted to get down. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's look at it the right way. Not do I find fault with what they did to me or the fruit of the flesh that came out of them after the fact. Do I find fault with them from wanting to get down off the cross? You know what? 
I don't find fault with anyone for wanting to get down off the cross. You know why? Because there's only one person who wouldn't come down off the cross. God. Yahweh. Right? One person. But just to get into some theology, right? And this is a scriptural definition of, of these things. This isn't our own definition of these things. But the willful sin. Right? I did a post on Facebook a while back, and I thought it was just a, a pretty simple post. Right? But... Like, no, the amount of confusion was like mind-boggling to me, yeah. right? Yeah. What is the willful sin? Is every sin willful? Well, the large percentage of the body of Christ, I think, thinks that, that every sin is willful. Yeah. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture comes and says there's one sin that's willful. Rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the once for all time sacrifice from God. That's the willful sin. Hebrews 10 talks about the willful sin. Right. If you look back in the Old Testament, do you know what it talks a lot about? Sins of ignorance. Mm. Sins of ignorance. And it says these sins are not unto death. Do you know why they're not unto death? Because they're not the willful sin. They're sins of ignorance. And it's no accident that that's back there. Right? And so we get... Even... How can the body of Christ, how can they point to the physician that heals from the works of the flesh if they don't even understand how it comes forth in people? Because I promise you, if you think the works of the flesh come forth in people because their desire is to do harm, you don't understand sin. You don't understand lust. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand that they're the branch. If they're the branch, are they the ones producing the fruit? Even when it's the fruit of death? Well, then how can we say it's willful? The, branch, the only thing the branch can do willfully is decide the vine that it's going to connect to. And then the vine that it connects to, that's the willful thing. You willfully decide which vine you're going to abide in. Yes. Right? Whether you're going to abide in the once-for-all-time sacrifice that God provided to perfect your life from death... Are you going to abide in the works of your own hands to yeah. perfect yourself from death? Right. That's the only thing you can do willfully. You willfully decide that. And then you're a branch that's grafted in to whichever root or vine you've believed on for life. Right. Now, what comes out of you now is not your will. Some of you think, how can that be? What are you talking about? Well, go and read Romans 7. Paul uses the word will. And he says that he wills to do good, but then he doesn't find the ability to do that which he wants to. Right. Sounds unwillful to me. <laughs> Sound like he's saying it's against his will, and yet he finds himself doing these things. Yep. <laughs> right? And so what was he describing there? He was talking about how he was lusting after life through the strength of the flesh. So he was a branch, but he willfully grafted himself into the vine... Right. That was the works of man's hands. Right. That's the willful thing he did. But then he noticed, after that willful thing that he did, the fruit that came out of him was against his will. Because he looked at the fruit of God's life and agreed that it was good. Yeah. But he didn't find the ability to do that which he willed. Because the, he's a branch. And the vine he was connected to wasn't God in God's life or God's strength. It was the strength of a man's hand. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So his willful sin was that he read the law and didn't see that the law spoke of the work God would do or God's righteousness to serve him with life. He read the law and thought the law told him that he needed now to establish his own righteousness by his own strength. That's the willful sin. That's the only sin that can be willful. Everything else that comes out of that, sins of ignorance. Sins of ignorance, right? And so the reason why that's important it's because if you understand the dynamic of what brings the works of the flesh out of people, it will influence your thoughts and feelings for them when they do things that aren't right. And if you think they're willfully doing that, you're going to hate them. Mm -hmm. True. And you're going to find yourself thinking that they're evil. Right. Sons of They're not committed. Not, you're going to say all kinds of things. Yeah, right. You're going to despise them. You're right. going to they they don't want it. You're going to start saying all these things. Yeah. You're going to scapegoat them, right? Yeah. But 
if you see that actually what's in their heart is the thing Paul said. That they want to do good, but because they're a branch grafted in to the tree of death, the good they want to do isn't coming out of them. What's coming out of them is the fruit of death. Yes. Right? right? Then what happens is, is you don't place their transgressions to their account. You don't scapegoat them for the harm they've caused or the evil you say that's come out of them. You eat, your language will even change. Notice I didn't say the evil they did. I said the evil that came out of them. Well, they're the branch, aren't they? They're only a branch if they're grafted into Jesus. So who produces the good fruit that comes out of me? Me or Jesus? Jesus. Okay, well then who's willing it? Oh, okay. But when we flip the script, oh, no, 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 it's not like that. It's not like that. Well, you're letting them off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) what's so funny is we see that whole dynamic as if we're letting them off the hook. Yeah. Do you know the one who's being tormented about their behavior? You. Yeah. And do you know why? Because you're holding it against their account. Imagine what Jesus would have felt if when he was nailed to the tree, he scapegoated the people. Imagine what he would have felt. I mean, it's bad enough to be nailed to a tree. Imagine what he would have felt if he imputed that to their account instead of imputing it to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Didn't Jesus say, forgive them for they know not what they do? Sounds unwillful to me. How can he say they know not what they do if it was willful? How could he say that? I mean, I, I hate to break out all these contradictions in our theology. <laughs> That's right. Right? This is why people read Hebrews 10, and they think if we sin willfully after coming to the knowledge of the truth, and because they have no understanding of the Scriptures or how fruit works, they think, well, if after you believe you do something bad, then you are going to be burned and judged. No, the willful sin is, after you've heard the message of what God did to provide himself a lamb to sanctify you once for all time from sin and death, if you do despite to the spirit of grace and you reject the once for all time sacrifice, there's no more sacrifice for sin. There's nothing left to perfect you from death and you are now condemning yourself to the second death. That's the point that he's making. The whole point is to look unto Jesus, not your own works. That's the whole point. Right? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus didn't scapegoat the people. He scapegoated something else. Mm -hmm. There's actually the word scapegoat in the Bible. In the Old Testament. You know, they scapegoat something for the sin. Do you know what they scapegoat for the sin? Azazel. You know who Azazel was? Satan. So the high priest would place his hand on one of the goats on the Day of Atonement. And they would scapegoat the goat. And so Jesus scapegoated the serpent and his bite. The poison of the serpent's ass, the poison of asp, right? Mm-hmm. He scapegoated the serpent when he was nailed to the tree. He didn't scapegoat the people. He saw the people as a branch. And he saw something producing its fruit in them. He scapegoated the root. He didn't scapegoat the people. Mm -hmm. Paul even uses this language very specifically in Romans 6. He talks about being taken captive by sin. Does that sound willful? (laughs) Do you use the word captive or slave to speak Mm -hmm. of something willfully? Mm -hmm. He says that we're taken captive by sin. Slaves to sin. That sounds like something happening to us unwillfully. He would also come and use the language where he says we were all our days in bondage. Mm-hmm. Through the fear of death. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that taken captive? Yeah. Right? He also talks about being a slave to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And being taken captive to righteousness. And he says that comes about by walking in the newness of life. You know what walking in the newness of life is? You're a branch and you've grafted yourself. Or rather, you've seen the Lord grafted you together with him in his incorruptible life. That's why he says consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to the root of death. Because that death is what sin is using to take you captive and produce its fruit in you unwillfully. Right? I mean, when a baby gets, I mean, when a woman gets pregnant, 
does she willfully give birth? Or is the willful thing she did to lay with the man? Okay, the willful thing is she laid with the man. But she unwillfully, I mean, she had no choice in the matter. The fruit's coming forth. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we need to understand these dynamics for our own hearts and for their own hearts. Because I promise you, sin will take you captive in your heart by bringing forth hatred in you towards people if you think they're willfully doing the things you say are in the way of you having life. And you won't even know you're doing it. It's just going to happen in you organically, right? I don't try to be compassionate. I don't say being compassionate is the right thing. I'm not some good person because I find myself filled with compassion towards those who transgress me. Do you know what I've done? I've done the one thing that's willful is I've abided in the vine that is Jesus Christ in his life. And that vine has now produced these things in me. That vine has now controlled the way I see people and the way I judge what's going on when the fruit of death comes out of them. The vine has now brought forth sight in me, right? right. The vine has taken me captive. And so it, the only thing that there's one thing that's willful, what vine are you grafted in with? And you have allowed yourself to be persuaded that God has grafted you into his eternal life when he reconciled the world to himself, or you have willfully decided to graft yourself in to the root of the death that's in this world or the world, meaning you love the world, right? right. To love the world doesn't mean that you enjoy going to concerts or you like playing football or you like going to a game or you enjoy having a good dance at a wedding or you like wine or you like music, even secular music. <laughs> that's not what it means to love the world means you look on the corruptible things in the world and you say those are the things that can feed me with life yeah that's what it means to right. love the world to love something means you look to it as the source of what can serve you with life mm. when you love god it's not talking about what you do for god it's talking about how you see god loves you so much he's going to serve you with his life that's what it means to love God, right? Even in grace, I see all these people talking all the time. Well, I, just because I'm in grace doesn't mean I, I, I don't love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And they're still reasoning from a corrupted view, as if loving God with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul means that you do everything right. Yeah. That's not what it means. Right. What it means is herein is love. Not that you love God, but that God loves you. Right. Herein is, herein, you could say it this way, herein is you loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Not that you love God, but that you're persuaded he loves you. Amen. That's how you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If you're walking in the grace of God, it doesn't matter what fruits come out of you. You most certainly have loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If you believe that God provided himself a lamb to remove death from you once for all time, you are loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If you've looked at your own works and say, my works cannot bring me out of the grave. My works cannot clothe me in the fruit of God's life. You have loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is why I rail against the perverted view of the law. Because what it does is it cuts God in half and it eliminates half of his image. Right. Right? Because right. a perverted view of the law causes you to look on that statement through the carnal mind instead of the grace of our Lord. Yep. Right? Yes. It's not some innocent thing. Yep. I'm not just busy cracking open a nut to see how... It's not like I'm busy cracking open those dolls to see how, how, how small can I crack it open at the bottom. You know those things? <laughs> yeah, right. the dolls. I'm not busy with that. Right? Right. Yeah. That's how you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Wow. Right? So the willful sin is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Jesus said there's one sin that is not able to be sent away from a person. There's one sin that will get in the way of me sending death away from someone. That's if they reject the spirit that raises them up out of the grave. Yes. They can even reject the Son of Man. Right. They can even look at me while I'm here and reject me. But if they reject the one who comes after me, that is poured out to draw them to the Father, then how will they ever come to the Father, Jesus says? How will they ever avoid cowering away from God unto the destruction of the second death if they reject the Spirit that brings them to the Father on the last day? That's the willful sin, right? Yes. That is the willful sin. John said that there's one sin that's unto death, and I don't say that you can pray for that, right? 
You can't pray to keep somebody from the second death if they've rejected the Lord Jesus. You can pray for them to see Jesus, but you can't make a prayer for them not to be condemned to the second death when they've rejected Jesus. That prayer is fruitless. That's the willful sin. That's the only willful sin. When you look in the book of Numbers, I used to read in the book of Numbers, that poor guy that picked up the sticks. I remember reading that and I was, when I was filled with the carnal mind. I'm like, my God, this dude picked up sticks and he's dead. <laughs> I'm like, this is stressing me out, Lord. Yeah, right. Yeah, really. But if you read the whole context, he committed the willful sin. He rejected the Sabbath, yeah. which the Sabbath, as we know now, doesn't speak about you resting from your works. It speaks about the work of God. And if you have believed on the work of God, you will rest from your works. Well, this guy rejected the work of God. That's why he died. Mm -hmm. he, so he went and picked up sticks. It was the testimony that he was trusting in his own strength and not the strength of God. And the wage that your works have to pay you with is death. It isn't God that condemned him to death. His own works condemned him to death. Right. That's why it says his blood is on his own hands. Right. It isn't on God's hands. It isn't on the hands of the people that even enact the law. It's on his own hands. And look what God says to Moses. It's an amazing thing God says to Moses. He says, "Tell, get all the people to take a blue thread and put it in the tassel of the corners of their tarit. That it serve as a reminder of the law of God. Yeah. Right? Well, that, that grace, that blue thread, that's the color for grace. It was the same sapphire color that the throne of grace is made out of. It's the same color that the tablets of testimony that Moses got from God up on the mountain were made from. They were sapphire stone, blue. What was that law testifying? Not by strength of your hand, but by might of my hand. That's what the law was always testifying of. It was testifying of the work God would do by his spirit of grace to serve you with life and cause you to overcome the world. Well, that guy rejected that. And he heaped unto himself death and destruction. God says, take a blue, blue, grace, grace. So that every time they walk around, they see in the corner of that talit, grace, grace. So that they be reminded of the law of God. What law? That it's by God's righteousness towards you that you'll have life, not by your own works. Amen. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. That's the willful sin. Right. Right? Yeah. This is why I rail against people trying to, forgive my language, bastardize the law. And make it as if the law is now the seed of the devil. As if the law came forth from the seed of the devil. It's the same thing people want to do when they want to speak evil of the scriptures. Because people have taken the scriptures and read them wrong and done horrible things because of their carnal view of the scriptures. Mm. Right? Just because people read the law and did horrible things from reading the law doesn't mean the law was evil. It's the carnal mind that's evil. Right? Right? The law come and revealed the one sin that will kill you. Right. How can it be evil? How can we call the thing that come and showed us what was killing us evil? That sounds like my friend. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sounds like God's my friend. Yeah. And what people don't understand is it creates a, a schizophrenic image of God in their head. Yes. Because you can't get around the fact that God wrote the law with his finger. Right. So now you're going to say by the finger of God you were served with death? It don't matter how much you try to create this false covenant theology where you try to compartmentalize God. Well, he had to be this way back here. There was a contract, don't you know? So he couldn't help but kill us, right? And now over here, well, he got all his frustration out on Jesus. And so he's not killing us anymore. I don't care how many times you say that. It's creating in your heart a God that isn't the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you ain't believing in a God that's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, there's no stability in your relationship with God. If you're not believing in that God, you're all the time still looking to the world for life. And you don't even know it. And you don't even know it. It's not a God. No. I mean, man, it breaks my heart. I see all these people on Facebook, man, all the time confessing how they're not under the law, not under the law, and then everything out of their mouth is built on the knowledge of good and evil. Right. It breaks my heart. I see all these people shadow boxing with the law. All the while, they're still walking after the flesh, and they yeah. don't realize it. All the while, they're still scapegoating all the people around them for the lack they feel. All the while, they're still looking to how it goes in the world to find the life that they want. Mm -hmm. All the while, they're still filled with the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. And they say, who cares though? I'm perfect. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The grace of God is supposed to bring you to the place where you could see your nakedness and not be ashamed. Right? Mm. right? So you could find help in your time of need. Where you could talk with God about what you see coming out of you. Mm. If you're full of offense, you could say, Lord, I'm full of offense. And I know that's not born from you. Instead of when you're full of offense saying, but I'm perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, you have been perfected, but wouldn't you like to experience a life that's also been exactly, perfected? right. <laughs> I mean... I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Wouldn't you like... That's exactly it. Yeah, right. Rather than acknowledge... The grace of God is supposed to take you to the place where when the fruit of death comes out of you, you don't try to ignore it by saying you're perfect, but rather you see that there's no shame for you that you're naked. And you start connecting with the God that will clothe you. And then you'll find a fence plucked out of your heart. And then you'll find yourself no more shadow boxing with the law. And you'll find yourself actually walking in the good work of God. Right? You'll actually find yourself bearing much fruit. Right? Right. Because you're not just claiming grace in theory. Mm. You know, I was thinking, you know, the seed that fell to the ground alone, that sprouted and produced much fruit, that seed actually came from somewhere. Yeah. That single seed came from somewhere. You know where it came from? Ooh. It came from God. Yeah. And if the seed is from God, that which is produced from the seed is of God. Yeah. And that's what that's what people are looking to find or need to find. Yeah. I know in my own life when I didn't really believe I was perfect, that's what I would say <laughs> in light of seeing death in my life. Sure. Right? But I'm the righteousness of God. Right? right? What I was what was being revealed is that I still actually didn't believe that I was the righteousness of God. Yeah. Right? I was still trying to clothe upon myself right. with my cliches. Yeah. Right? right? Mm-hmm. It's Shakespeare true. Shakespeare said you protest too much, right? Right. <laughs> no, exactly exactly right. I mean, it's true that we've been perfected once for all time. But let us not use that as a cloak to keep us from connecting with God about the offense and the lack we feel all the time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> let us actually be able to have an unconcealed heart in the presence of God, right? right? Yeah. When we find those things, instead of still trying to clothe upon ourselves, right? right? Yeah. Mm. Glory to God. That's Glory good. God.